Good morning and welcome to the Mount. My name is Adam and we are in the second week of a series titled Start Small, Think Big. And uh, if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, last week we began this series and for those of you that were here, you'll remember we said that there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. And so for the period of three weeks, and this is week two of this series, we're going to be talking about living a generous lifestyle and and specifically talking about how living a generous lifestyle of being generous, of, of giving away the thing we call money. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to to go back and watch or to listen. Like I said last week, it was a a foundation in which each week was going to build upon. And so just, just for a recap so that we're all on the same page, last week we said that generosity, the act of being generous, a lifestyle of being generous, is a fundamental part of our spiritual life. The same way as prayer is a fundamental part of our spiritual life. Scripture reading is a fundamental part of our spiritual life. Loving our neighbors is a fundamental part of our spiritual life. Generosity in scripture is also a fundamental part of our spiritual life. I said, if you remember, I said that generosity as your pastor is something I want for you, not from you. I want you to experience the radical blessing, the radical lifestyle transformation that can come from when we begin to live a lifestyle of generosity. And 2 Corinthians 8, 7 sort of echoes the prayer that I've been praying over the last couple weeks for those of you that have been here. And it says this, it's Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And listen to what he says. He's talking to them. He says, but since you excel in everything, right? Since, Since the church in Corinth is so good, they excel in everything. What do they excel in? They excel in their faith. They excel in their speech. They excel in their knowledge. They excel in their complete earnestness or their their passion, their zeal for the Lord and, and the love that we have kindled in you. Since they excel in all of these aspects of the spiritual life, Paul says, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. Why? Because there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. Scripture makes this clear. Last week, we said that there are over 2,300 verses between the Old Testament and the New Testament talking about finances and money. We said that is more than faith and prayer combined in the entire Bible. God values it. It's important. It's significant. We said that of all the things that Jesus said in the gospel, over 15% of everything he said was related to money and finances and being generous. That is more than he talked about heaven and hell combined or any other topic. Why? Jesus knew something about our finances, about our money. He knew that there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote half the New Testament in Acts 20, he says this way about Jesus. He says that Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What we see then is over and over and over and over in scripture is that those of us who have professed to follow Jesus, who who wanna live a life imitating Jesus and being his hands and feet to the world, reflecting that image of God, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And we said last week that maybe you're here and you're, you're joining us for the first time or you're, you've been coming for a while and you're sort of on the fence about this whole God thing, right? Like you're like, ah, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm not bought into this yet. The whole Jesus thing, I'm not really there yet. And we said that even if you take God out of the picture, if you take scripture and set it to the side for a moment, we said that even when we look at kind of secular sociologists and we looked at one from the University of Notre Dame and we said that what they found is over and over and over again, when they studied generosity in society, the sociological point, of view. They found that over and over and over again, the key to happiness, the key to health, the key to a longer life, the key to less mental illness, the key to all of these things was actually being generous with your finances. They measured volunteerism. They measured relational generosity, all these things, but they found over and over and over again that every religious teacher, including Jesus, has always been right. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. Jesus says this himself in Matthew 6, 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your what? what say it with me. There your heart will be also. Jesus says that where you give your money to, where you invest your money in, where you direct your bank account to, that is where your attention, your focus, your passions, and your heart align with. And so we talked last week and we ended with this and we said, listen, you and I as human beings, whether we want to admit it or not, we are selfish people, right? We think about ourselves. We focus on ourselves. We spend money on ourselves. And we said that maybe one of the ways that we can begin to break the cycle of selfishness in our lives is to begin to spend money on others, to be generous, generous with what we have. Therefore, our heart begins to think about others and them more than us. Now, if you're anything like me, right? Like, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's great, Adam. Uh, there's a fundamental connection. You keep saying it over and over again. I get it. You're just going to keep saying this same thing over and over again. I get it. Uh, I'm on the page with you. I actually agree with you that maybe there is a connection between the spiritual life and how I handle money. I get that, but I I just don't have the margin. I just just don't make enough right now. Um, When I have more, one day I'll be generous. One day when there's more margin in my budget, I'll be generous. One day when my salary is bigger, I'll be generous, right? And so I, I get it, I do. I, I vividly remember a, a time in my, my wife and I, Kristen's life, where um, we, we were not as generous as we should have been, and I thought this. I thought that one day uh, when I'm not a youth pastor, barely making any money anymore, right, and I'm not struggling through college and trying to pay for it myself, one day when I finally am, am in the place where I need to be, then and then I will be able to be generous with my life. Why? Because here's what I thought, and maybe Maybe you're nothing like me. You're way more spiritual, right? But I thought that being generous, the ability to give money away was only for those who had an abundance of it. I thought, I thought generosity was sort of a wealthy man's game. Does that make sense? I thought that the only people who are really generous with their money are the people who have enough of it. They've realized they don't need any more. They, they have all that they need. And so therefore, they're willing to give it away. It's interesting, uh, research seems to show the exact opposite. For instance, uh, Dr. Famita Handy from the University of Pennsylvania School of Social Policy. She has studied generosity for years and years and years. And she says this after all of her years of study, and I'm gonna quote this. She says, if you can't be generous when you have nothing, you'll never be generous when you have everything. If you can't be generous when you have nothing, you will never be generous when you have everything. 
There's a book called Passing the Plate. In the book Passing the Plate, another group of sociologists, they studied very specifically just American Christians and how they give and their giving patterns and what that looks like. And there's, here's what they found. You can see this graph on the screen. What they found is this remarkable thing. They found that the more a person makes over time, the actual less percentage of money they give. And these are, Ameri- these are people who they surveyed and said, do you believe in these kind of five or six tenets of the Bible? And they said, yes, I believe in all those. I'm an actively engaged evangelical Christian. And what they found was, in, rea- in reality, is the opposite of maybe what we think was the more money people made, the less they gave. Interesting. Listen, generosity is for everyone, not just for those who can afford it. Why? Because there's a fundamental connection between your spiritual life and how you think about and handle money. The Bible teaches this as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3 says this. Uh, This is the church in Corinth, and Paul's talking to them. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. We see this this group of people, this this church in Corinth, and listen to the words that go together there, right? Their severe trial produced overwhelming joy. Their extreme poverty produced rich generosity. And we see this over and over again in scripture where the people who were in the most dire circumstances, the people who were the most oppressed, the people who were in the most poverty, they seem to be the people who over and over and over again are going above and beyond and living this lifestyle of generosity. Why? And if you're taking notes, you might write that this morning. When it comes to living a generous lifestyle, It is not about our capacities, but it is about our priorities. You see, you you and I, we think, I'll be generous when I have enough, right? And let's be honest, we live in American society and enough is never attainable. Every single day, I think, if I just had a little more, if I had a little bit more, like the, the savings could always be bigger. The, the college fund could always be bigger. The vacation could always be nicer. There's, there's never enough. We live in a society where there's never enough. There was this, this show a while back about a Wall Street guy, and he was, he was chasing money, doing everything he could to kind of get rich and rich and rich. And at one point, one of the people in his life asked him, hey, when will enough be enough? And he said, never, because I always want more. Listen, listen, it's not about your capacity. It's about your priority. And the reality is, is that every single one of us, myself included, we all have something to give. We are all called to be generous. It's about our priorities. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can actually pull up the Mount app and you can follow along with the Bible references in the notes right in there, or you can also follow along on the screen. And in Mark chapter 12, we're going to look at a story where Jesus, um, he observes this woman um, being generous at the temple in Jerusalem, right? And so what's interesting, though, is what he observes is you have to understand the context. I don't want to just dive into the passage without making sure we understand what just happened before it, right? And so what happened just before is Jesus was teaching his disciples an example about the people who everyone thought were blessed. And he's telling them, he's saying, look at the Pharisees who kind of walk around in their rich robes. They walk around in their fancy things. They, 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 they announce their presence to people. They, they, they drop money 
money loudly. They, they pray long. And he was saying, these are the people that everyone think has it figured out. These religious leaders who have all of these things figured out. They have all this wealth. They have all this fame. They have all this spiritual elitism. These are the ones that everyone thinks has it figured out. And then we pick up in verse 42 or verse 41. And he says, listen to this though. Verse 41 of Mark 12. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So Jesus finishes teaching them about these people and then he sort of goes and he just sits down on a bench. Now, it's interesting how he sits intentionally close enough where he can see what people are doing in the offering. He's paying attention, he's focused. And the way the offering would work is in the, in the Old Testament kind of, or sorry, New Testament temple period, there would be this court of, they called it the court of women, not that like only women were allowed there, men could go through there as well and stuff, but it was called the court of women. And what would happen is there was these 13 little boxes or kind of receptacles. And these receptacles were shaped like a trumpet. And so like picture a trumpet where it starts small and it gets louder, like bigger and bigger and bigger, but in the bottom is a box. And what would happen is people, when they presented their offering, they would be walking through the court of women and they would simply just drop their offering, the coins, they didn't have paper bills. They would drop their coins into this trumpet thing. And the way it was designed was because it funneled like this. If you've ever been to like a science museum and the little quarter spins and it goes like this, 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 when you drop it in there, it was loud and it would clang, 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 and it would get to the bottom. And what this purpose served is the Pharisees, they wanted to be able to just recognize by sound who were the biggest givers. Who were the people that were giving the most money? Now, this is a minute point, but what's interesting too is when Jesus sits down to see this, he knows what's happening. And so he's watching the crowd put their money in and he's listening to the crowd put their money in, okay? And verse 41, it continues and says this, many rich people threw in large amounts, right? Now, I love the way scripture uses very specific words at times. Many rich people threw in large amounts. So in essence, you get the picture that they're walking by and this, this, per, this time that's supposed to be full of worship, this time that's supposed to be full of like, God, you are the owner of everything and I'm responding back to you in obedience and worship and sacrifice. We get the image that the rich people are just walking by, throwing it in. It's just another thing for them. They're checking the list. They're, they're just dropping their coins in, dropping their money in. Why? Because they are rich. It says they are, are wealthy. They have large amounts. They are giving out of their abundance. And not only that, they're just throwing it in. You get this picture that it's just a casual, like, here you go, here you go, God, here you go, God. Right, okay? Uh, listen, verse 42, it continues. But a poor widow came, and she put in two very small coins, worth only a few cents. So this poor widow comes up. How, how does Jesus know she's poor? Um, uh, how does Jesus know she's a widow, right? Be, uh, a, lot of, a lot of commentators would say that widows at this time, they wore a certain kind of scarf or shawl. I don't know what a shawl is, but they wore one of these. And it was kind of denoting their status in society. That way when people saw them, they would know just who they were. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he just, like, she's a poor widow. Maybe, maybe he could smell her. It was, it was first century Jerusalem. Things, their showers weren't quite the same back then, right? Maybe, just maybe, he, remember he's fully human, but also fully fully divine, maybe he just looks at her and he knows in his heart, oh, that's a woman who's a widow, and he just knows her entire story just by looking at her, right? Because he is fully divine in this moment as well. But here's, here's the point, he knows. And so regardless of how, we're told that she puts two small 
copper coins in that are just a few cents. Now, depending on the translation of scripture you're using, sometimes it names those coins. Those coins would have been called a lepta. It was an ancient Roman coin that was incredibly, incredibly almost worthless. In fact, if you were to take a day's wage, like, like for an average worker, what they would work all day for, like sun up to sundown, what they would make, a lepta was 164th of that. Does that make sense? So it's, it's very small. So in essence, to make a day's worth of money, this woman would have, would, she'd have to have 64 of these coins. So if you want to do the math, take it, you can figure up, you know, the average wage in America is, you know, $40,000, and that equals 365 days, this many hours, divide that out, you have how much money that would be in modern times. But the point is, it was a very, very insignificant amount of money. Now, not only that, the, listen, the religious leaders or the wealthy people are walking by throwing in their large sums. But scripture says this widow put in her two. She took her time. It was intentional. It was deliberate. It wasn't this attitude of like, here you go, God. No, no, no. She put it in. She didn't throw it. She put it in. Jesus sees this, right? Verse 43 continues. Calling his disciples to him, right? Jesus loves a teachable moment, right? He sees this happen. He's like, hey, guys, come here. So he calls his 12 people over. And he says, listen to what he says. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put, what? Say it with me. This poor widow has put, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. (laughs) I mean, imagine being a disciple right now. Like, Jesus, are you on crack? What's happening here? Like, Like, we just heard the noises. We just saw what happened. Like, she didn't put more. All these other people are throwing in large amounts. It's loud, it's clanging, and they're they're throwing in their gifts, and you can hear it, and it's rattling, and it's, but she threw in two little little bitty coins that are almost, the, the coins are supposed to be so thin, they almost wouldn't make any noise. Think almost like paper, like just cardstock, so thin. She threw those in, put those in. They probably were silent almost. There's no way this woman put in more. We heard it. She definitely didn't put in more. Jesus, you're wrong. You are wrong, Jesus, you are wrong. I wonder, why does Jesus use the word more? Like, why why does he say this woman put in more? What made her generosity more? I want to give you several reasons this morning. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. Her generosity wasn't limited by her excuses. Her generosity was not limited by her excuses. Go back to verse 42 for a second. Look, but a poor widow came and put in two very small coins. This woman was a widow. Now, widows in kind of first century Jerusalem, man, they had it rough, really, really rough. In fact, through most of Israel's history, because it was a a patriarchal society, right? The the men were kind of the head of the households, the head of everything. It was just just the way the Old Testament society and the New Testament kind of Roman Empire even was set up. What you saw was, is that a widow just was in a very bad spot. What do I mean by this? Look, if you're a widow and your husband dies, the property does not go to you. All of the bank accounts, all of the property goes to the oldest son in the family, If there's no sons in the family, it goes to the oldest male relative on the father's side. So if you don't have a son, your money, 
Your property, your wealth, your home, everything you own leaves your family and goes to your husband's brother. So you can imagine being a widow, you have nothing. You, 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 you've lost everything, your, your husband died. Maybe you have an older son who's taken the money, maybe we don't know her story, but what we assume is that being a widow, she just has nothing in this moment. Everything's gone in the blink of an eye. And so this woman had an incredibly, incredibly valid excuse not to participate in the offering this day. What do I mean by this? Is the offering was supposed to be the first fruits, the very beginning, the best of her income and her property, but she had no income, she had no property. By all legal requirements of the Judaic law, she could skip out on the offering. She did not have to participate. She didn't have any income. She was a widow. Her husband was the one who worked. She could just walk by and no one would say a word. There was no expectation. There was no legal requirement. There was no minimum expectation that she had to do. But she chose to be generous despite her excuse. I wonder... What's your excuse? What's your excuse? Last week, if you were here, we said that everything we do here at the Mount, all of the, the program we have for the hundreds of kids, all the things we do for our teenagers, all the things we do for our local communities between all of our campuses, all the things we do globally all over the world, all the meals that we pack, all the homeless people, that we, all the things that we do are done on just 11% of us participating in giving. That means that 89% of us have an excuse of why we're not. What's your excuse I, I get it. You have your list, right? You have your, your excuse. I, I know you do. I had mine when I was younger. Is, I, just, I just can't really be generous right now, Adam. I, it's just not a good time for us. You know, inflation's high. Blah, blah, I just, it's just not a good time. We're, we're saving for a new car right now. The one we have, it's, it's, it's going to go, we just need a new car. We're saving for college. Our kids are getting older. We have to make sure we have enough for college. We're saving for this. We've got a big vacation coming up and we wanna make sure it's kind of one of those once in a lifetime vacations. So we're putting everything into it because we really want to enjoy this. We really want to celebrate this. It's important and it's big and that's kind of our excuse right now. Or maybe my, your, retirement, your retirement investment account is behind track and you're paying extra to catch it back up because you really wanna get it to where it needs to be. Or maybe you've got some debt that you need to pay off first. What's your excuse? Here's this woman. She had every excuse in the book. And she gives generously as a choice. And Jesus said her gift was more. Remember, living a generous lifestyle is not about our capacities. It's about our priorities. It's about our heart. First, her generosity wasn't limited by her excuses. And second, her generosity required her to sacrifice. Her generosity required her to sacrifice. Verse 44, look at it again. They all gave out of their wealth. Uh, that, that sometimes is translated as abundance or, or surplus. So the rich people gave out of their abundance or their surplus. They, they had a lot of it, but she gave out of her what? Her poverty. She put in everything, all that she had to live on. Her gift was a sacrifice. 
This, this point is referenced earlier. If we go, go back to verse 42 again, look, it says, Jesus says, but a poor woman came and put in two very small copper coins. She didn't have to put in any. She could have put in one. She chose to put in two. She chose to sacrifice what that other coin may get her so that she could be generous. It was sacrificial. We, we see this attitude echoed in the church of Corinth again. If we, we looked at this earlier, go back to it with me. Chapter eight, verse two and three. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Verse three, look at this. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and what? Even beyond their ability. Now, that phrase, the phrase doesn't mean give so much money that you yourself become homeless and poor. That's not what God is saying. God's not saying just be reckless and abandoned and give everything you own away so that one day you wake up and you're like, well, sorry kids, I can't send lunch today with you. That's not what it's saying, right? What it's saying is, is we need to exercise wisdom and we're gonna talk about this next week, a little bit about wisdom when it comes to being generous and how we are saving or spending and all these different things. But what it's saying is this woman and the church in Corinth, they knew that there was this minimum expectation, this, this requirement, this minimum law, this thing that everyone knew to do, and what they did, they chose to sacrificially give above and beyond out of more. Why? Because they wanted to sacrifice to see the kingdom of God move forward here on earth. They sacrificed. And giving sacrificially means there should be things that we miss out on because we are being too generous. Question for you. What are you missing out on? What is your generosity causing you to miss out on? Now, I'll, I'll be transparent with you guys here for a moment. I, I think it, it helps you to get to know me. And um, So over the last 18 years, my wife and I, this December, will be married 18 years. And uh, we, we have tried with, you guys can clap for that, that's great, yeah. She stuck with me, right? So... Um, there's never a good time to take a drink either. I don't know if you know that. So over the last 18 years, we have tried to the best of our ability um, to practice the spiritual discipline of generosity. Remember last week I told you that there, we're going to talk about this next week. There's a difference between a random act of kindness and the spiritual discipline, right? Like anyone can pray once, but the spiritual discipline of praying is different. Anyone can be generous once, but the spiritual discipline of generosity is different. My wife and I have, have done our best. Um, there, sure, there are seasons we can look back at over the last 18 years and say we, we didn't trust God as much in that moment and we, we held too close and too tight and we weren't um, open-handed, we were close-fisted. And we, we wish, I think, if we were to, to talk about it, we would go back and say we could do that differently again and trust God more in those moments. But here's what I do know. Over the last 18 years, we have tried our best to faithfully practice the discipline of generosity. And I've never added it up, but I bet if I went back and tried to figure it out over the past 18 years, the money that we have given, it would be a significant amount of money for us. I bet that money would give us a lot of things. I bet our savings account would be much higher right now. I bet our home, our house payment would be a little bit lower. I told you guys last week that I drive a truck that has 220,000 miles and things are, are breaking every now and then. I, I guarantee you, if, if looking back, I could have a new truck by now. And um, new trucks are just incredibly beautiful and I, I lust after them all the time, right? And so uh, I, I, love, I love technology. I guarantee you over the past 18 years, I could have bought every gadget and any gadget and had fun with those gadgets and my house would be decked out in gadgets and you would walk in. 
My wife, she loves to travel. I think of all the, the trips that she has sacrificed over the last 18 years. I think of all the ways that we have made um, just being generous a priority. And here's what I realized, though, that in order to be obedient to God and to live a generous lifestyle, we have to sacrifice things. Now, don't misunderstand me. What I'm not suggesting is that God wants you to sacrifice everything fun and enjoyable in life. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I would argue that scripturally, theologically, that I believe that God is a good and generous God who provides gifts and blessings to us because God values our joy and our pleasure and he wants us to experience things, to, to, to be able to, to do things that bring us joy. But here's the thing, it has to be in proportion, right? It has to be a balance because we have to be willing to say, if, if, if money, if, if the way we view money is all about what can I get, what can I do, what can I have for me, for me, for me, that is a wrong heart posture, right? And where our heart, where our money goes, our heart goes, our attitude has to be more of, you know what? Yes, I could do more. Yes, I could have more. Yes, I could have that thing. I could have an experience. But what if God wants me to sacrifice that thing or that experience so that he can change the eternal destiny of someone forever and ever and ever? It's our mindset. Question. If you were to look back over the past year or two years or five, what are you sacrificing so that other people can know God and his kingdom can advance in this world? You see, so many times we equate sacrifice with frustration. Oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice this and I just, I'm going to be mad about it and bitter about it and frustrated. No, no, no. This widow, she didn't, she didn't take her two coins. Like, oh, just fine, here, God. No, 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 no. She took those coins and she deliberate and intentionally put them in. Why? Because there is joy in sacrifice. And you don't believe me? Listen, listen, listen. Those of you that are married, my wife, there are things that bring her incredible joy. And I will sacrifice my wants to see her joyful. I have two kids. There are things that I know my kids love and cherish and want. And I hate those things. But I, <laughs> but I will sacrifice my wants and desires to see them smile and laugh and enjoy a God who is good. There is joy in sacrifice. Church, by keeping it all to yourself, as your pastor, you are missing out on a life full of joy. You are missing out. So her, 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 her generosity wasn't limited by her excuses. Her generosity required a sacrifice. And third, lastly, her generosity required her complete trust. It required her complete trust. Here's the, here's the thing. Generosity, living generously and sacrificially means we have to be fully trusting in God. Now, <laughs> What I'm not saying about is some sort of like prosperity gospel here. I'm not saying that when you, when you sacrifice, when you give to God, God's gonna return it tenfold or anything like that, right? I'm not talking about like you give so that you get rich. That, that's a prosperity gospel that is a complete kind of miscon, 
it's just, it's not the gospel. It's not what Jesus says. It's not how God does. Sure, um, sometimes God is over and over again telling us to be a blessing to others, to live a life of generosity. It's an area of obedience, right? We need to be willing to be obedient to the things that God has asked us to do when he asks us to do them. Now, sometimes what will happen is, we see in scripture, and we're gonna talk about this, we will receive blessings back because of our sacrifice. Sometimes those blessings will be non-material and we can't really measure them. You may look back over a lifetime of being generous and you realize that your marriage has been sustained through the most difficult times it could ever. Why? Because God was faithful and good and he blessed you with that. You may look back one day and realize that all of your kids are following the Lord and they are serving and doing incredible kingdom work. Why? It could be because your generosity and God has blessed you back with a family that loves him and pursues him. Yes, it's not always much, but in scripture, and I, I can't explain this and, I, and I, don't challenge me on this because I just can't explain it. But in scripture, we do see situations where God says, your obedience in the area of finances and generosity, I will take care of you financially. Let, let me give you some examples. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous person will prosper. That word prosper literally means to be fat. Not like somebody who needs a diet. It just means fat with abundance, overflowing. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others themselves will be refreshed. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And you're like, well, that's not talking about giving, Adam. It is, watch. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And listen to this. And God who is able to bless you abundantly, so then all things at all times, having all that you need, will abound in every good work. He doesn't say he's gonna supply everything you want, but God says, when you give to others, when you are generous, I will supply you with everything that you need. Big difference there in America, right? One more, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. Verse 10, then what? Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Some of you are like, wine? Where? I'm listening now, right? Like, <laughs> you just perked up real big. So listen, listen, I, I wanna read you this story. Last week, we asked you guys to submit some stories. This is a story, uh, this, out of respect for privacy, I'm gonna call this person Linda. Linda's not a real name. If you're Linda, this is not your story, I promise. So this person is Linda. So Linda says, I moved to Maryland in 2000 after a heartbreaking divorce. It was my two teenagers, a dog, and two cats. I had no money left after the bills. I was surviving on $22 a week for groceries for the three of us, for the dog and the cats. We had no TV, no extras. It was so bad that we ate saltines with butter for dinner some nights. The pastor at the church I was attending in Maryland at the time challenged the congregation to give to God first and then pay the bills later. He said, and this pastor, he, it must have been a smaller church, he said, if you have any bills left at the end of the month, bring them to me and I will personally pay them. I'm not saying that, okay? <laughs> you can talk to John about that one, so. <laughs> it says, I jumped at this challenge believing that I would, so here reason, I jumped at this challenge believing I had bills left over and I wanted him to pay for them, right? So she says, I gave God 10% faithfully every week for four weeks. I paid my bills that month and somehow there was some left over. Listen to what she did with what was, I talked with my kids and we agreed we wanted to bless an elderly woman in our church with what was left over. After a few months, I was so amazed at how much God had blessed us, I was in awe. 
One day we were in church worshiping with plans on growing grocery shopping after church with our budget of $35. When we got out of church, someone had filled our car with so much food, I had to go home and unload it and then come back and get my kids. They couldn't even fit like, this is just so much. But she said, a month later, my car broke down. I went to the pastor and said, this is the month I'm going to need help. And, and guess what? Someone in our church worked at the place that had my car and my bill was paid anonymously for over $800. Listen, Linda continues, I love this. God has never stopped blessing me for being faithful. I may not have everything I want, but I have not gone without what I need. She says, we have a teaspoon that we use to give our blessings to God, and he uses a bucket loader to shovel it back to us. You cannot outgive God. Listen, does it always happen like that? No. Her story could have very easily ended and said, you know what, I still had to pay the $800 bill. But we can't measure all of God's blessings. Now, let me, let me, let me end with this story in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. Check this out. 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16. The Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there, another story of a widow, this one Old Testament. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her. So he sees this widow and he says, will you please, will you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he calls to her. So he's like, hey, will you give me some water? And as she walks away, he's like, oh, by the way, one more thing. Look, he says, bring me a bite of bread too. Verse 12, but she said, she stops right then. She says, I swear by the Lord your God, I do not have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and I have just a little bit of cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. She said, I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. She says, listen, sir, I can bring you water, but I just have a little bit of flour. I, 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 it's just a little bit, I, and a little bit of oil. It's enough for me and my son to have one more meal, and then we will die. But Elijah says to her, verse 13, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. There will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Listen, she is faced with a decision. She, she's saying, I just have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. But the Lord is saying he'll provide. And she has to decide. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual moment for her. Do I, do I trust what I can see, the, the little that remains, or do I trust him at his word? Do I trust what he says? Do I trust what I hear? Do I trust what I feel? Or do I trust what I see? This morning, what's stretching your trust? In the area of generosity, in the area of your finances, what are you doing right now that is stretching your trust? Where are those moments where you look and you say, but there's just a little bit of flour, God, and there's just a little bit of oil, I just don't know, and God is saying, yeah, 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 but do you trust me? Do you trust my word? Where are you stretching your trust? 
Listen, how does it end? Verse 15. So she did as Elijah said. She did it. She obeyed. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and enough olive oil left in the containers. Why? Just as the Lord had promised. Listen, remember, there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. Both of these widows, one in the Old Testament and one in the New, both of these serve as a model of what it means to follow Jesus. Why? Because don't miss this. The call to follow Jesus, the call calls for absolute surrender in every single area of our life. The call to follow Jesus, to believe in him and to live for him means total trust in every single area of our life. We've said this for weeks now. We've said that living a lifestyle of generosity is an essential area in spiritual formation. Why? Because, don't miss this, it's not about our capacities. It is about our priorities. And here's what I mean by that. We see in scripture over and over and over again, just like these two widows, when it comes to finances, we have to be willing to lay those down for God to be king. Here's what I mean. For many of us, we say, I believe in you, Lord. I follow you, Lord. I trust in you, Lord. There's just not enough flour and oil. So this, I want control of. This will be a little God in my life. Listen, if God is going to be the Lord of your life, he has to be the Lord of every area of your life, not just the areas you want him to be, right? That's what it means to follow Jesus. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. What's stretching your trust? Here's, I wanna close with this. Uh, last week I gave you some homework. I hope you did it. Um, I told you to go home and make sure you were here for the entire part of this series because we're, we're building each week and so you're back, so thank you. If, you, uh, if you're, this is your first week, go back and listen. I promise uh, you'll, you'll kind of see the progression. And so here's the other homework is I said, go home and we said where our, where our treasure goes, our heart goes. I just want you to look and see where your money is going and where your heart is going. So here, here's your homework for today. I just want you to start small. Just start small. What is something this week that you can do, what is a generous thing that you can give that will stretch your trust? Start small. You may notice on our Instagram, if you go look at the Mount's Instagram, we shared some statistics this week and we're gonna share some for all the next couple weeks. Uh, we found out that if you give up one cup of coffee a week, a $4 cup of coffee, this cup of coffee over the course of a year can equal $192. And you're like, wow, $192, that's not, that's not a lot of money, it's $4 a week. What that $192, when you give it to the Mount and we support our missionaries all over the world in Papua New Guinea, the people that we have there, that $192 can translate a paragraph or two of scripture into a new language for a people group that have never had the Bible in their own language because you started small and said, I can go without one coffee so that people all the way across the world can read scripture in their own language. Man, what this week, what can you do to start small? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for you and for your word and for the way that you so often in scripture show us examples of people who are faithfully surrendering to follow you. God, this morning we confess that we wanna be people who trust you, not just in some areas, but all areas. 
Here's what I wanna do this morning as we continue praying. Maybe you're here and you're just really wrestling right now. There's an area of your life around generosity that you just, you just need to let go. As we get ready to sing, we've got our, our prayer team and they're gonna be up here at the front and they would love to just be able to pray with you. Not, nothing weird, they're not gonna like embarrass you. They just wanna take, bring your burden and they will pray with you. If you're uncomfortable coming to the front, maybe just turn to a neighbor next to you and say, hey, can you pray for me? I've never met you before, but can you pray for me? As a church, there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word, amen.